Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here at the Pro-America Report. And uh, a lot happening as we head into the weekend. I will, um, I'm will. i going to play again the Karen Garnett interview from a few days ago about the uh, National Pro-Life Luncheon. Uh, it's gotten some uh, good traction from folks. So we'll play that in a few moments. Uh, we'll also uh, visit with another author today, Mark David Hall, about his new book. But first, what you need to know, what you need to know today, today's wink. Uh, here on the Pro-America Report. I'm Ed Martin, by the way, your fearless uh, host. And uh, they, But today, I want to encourage you to understand that sometimes uh, silence is cover. Silence is cover. I'm not talking, by the way, about these leaks yet. I'm not talking about some of these other issues. I'm talking about this story. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California is almost 90 years old. And she has been uh, in some declining health in the last uh, couple of years, but that's okay. I mean, she's in her, in her late 80s, and uh, she has had a long career, and she's very liberal, and I don't like any of her politics, but she's been in service for, for – she's been serving forever. But now she had shingles, and she couldn't come to Washington, D.C., and Fetterman, the Pennsylvania senator, was in the hospital. And uh, and um, uh, Blumenthal, the late 70s, I think he's, I didn't know he's so old. He's, he broke his leg. There's lots of senators that aren't making it to the session. But here's the thing. Judiciary Committee is where Dianne Feinstein has served for a couple of decades. And in order to advance nominees from that committee, the deputy to have their members there. And since she's not there, she cannot vote to advance the nominees. These are judges. These are lifetime tenure judges. And what everybody has shown, whether it was Mitch McConnell when Donald Trump was president or uh, Chuck Schumer when uh, Joe Biden is president, is they know the math and they know how, once they get out of committee, to go to the floor of the Senate at the right time and pass nominees. Joe Biden has had as many, in fact, he's had more nominees confirmed as lifetime tenure federal judges more than Trump by this point in his in his uh, presidency. So and Trump was really good at Trump and McConnell. Their teams worked really well together. But here's the wrinkle. What you're not hearing, there was one story about it and went away, is that in order for Chuck Schumer to replace Senator Dianne Feinstein on the Judiciary Committee, as she has requested, he needs to go to the floor of the U.S. Senate and he needs to either get unanimous consent, which means everybody agrees, no one objects, or he has to force through by cloture, 60 votes, uh, a change in that committee structure, that committee uh, membership. And Republicans should not help. They should not help. The Democrats, when they get in similar positions, they don't help. The liberals don't help. They play hardball. And the hardball should just be Rand Paul or Josh Hawley or someone should uh, not consent unanimously and force a vote and put people on the record and make them have to vote for it. Because these are really important judges, judgeships, positions, and they should not be. We should not decide suddenly, oh, we're going to play along nice with people. 
And back to my point, what you need to know is it's quiet. It's quiet. No coverage. No media coverage. No talking about it. There was one article that referenced this. And the reason why? Because the establishment in Washington, both parties, when they need to do something that they know is unpopular, they, if they can get away with it, they say nothing. They go quiet on it. There's, so there's not coverage. The coverage is non-existent. As I said, one article in Politico. Now, I, I actually have noticed that a couple of conservatives and myself included have been pushing on social media saying, hey, 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 don't don't fall for this. But we'll see if it's enough, because generally, especially when it's, uh, you know, the kind of um, uh, the coming out of uh, Easter break and there's not a lot in, of, of senators and most of you will this week. The Senate and House are out of session, which means a lot of staffers and others have taken vacation, taken days off. You know, they're catching up families on uh, uh, kids are on spring break or something. So it's very quiet. And that includes the journalists. That includes the media. So it, it will be interesting to see if this story will get some traction. But it quite literally could mean that 10 or 20 or 30 judges would not be confirmed or at least delay the schedule enough that it would end up getting towards the uh, the, the uh, election cycle when there might be a change in leadership. That, that, that may seem like hardball, but that's what both parties do when they want to. And the Republicans don't do it when they think, I don't know, when they think that when they're, when they're kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, charmed into it. Oh, Diane Feinstein, she's served all these years. She asked for something. So what? She's gotten lots of somethings over the years. She's gotten lots of power and influence. You know, she just sold her home. She has a home. Her and her husband are fabulously wealthy. I think her husband made money. Uh, I, I think he was a wealthy guy before she was in, in the in politics. But I don't know who knows. I mean, she. They, but they have a, a, a multi million dollar home in Montana or Wyoming or somewhere that they just were selling. I think that's the uh, 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 coverage I saw. But my point here is, she's had plenty of favors. She's had plenty of stature. She's had plenty of opportunities. She's had plenty of respect, if that's what you want to show her. But to give Biden and Schumer and the left judges, when they are in the midst of lawfare, as clear as can be against Trump and January 6th defendants and every, uh, lots of other aspects, lots of other uh, uh, examples, it's just crazy. So what you need to know is silence on a story means they're trying to slip it through. Lack of coverage on a story means that they're trying to make it keep, you know, make it happen and not make it a big deal. Oh, yeah, just being respectful, just being respectful. Imagine if Ted Cruz was uh, wanting to come off Judiciary Committee during President Trump's time. Do you think Chuck Schumer would be like, oh, yeah, well, we'll just we'll, we'll we unanimously consent to that. No way. Not in a million years. Not in a million years. So stand tall, Republicans in the Senate. Don't give in to the Feinstein swap and fight for judges. All right, that's all I've got. We'll take a break. When we come back, we've got a lot more, uh, especially we'll get an update. Uh, we'll play again the uh, Karen Garnett uh, interview, important uh, event taking place uh, just about a week from now uh, down in Dallas for pro-life. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, talk to you in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's been a while, actually. I was thinking about it, Karen. As uh, we, Karen Garnett is our next guest. She's the president of the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. I, of course, I saw you, Karen, a few months ago in Washington, D.C., came out for the March for Life. We've talked a couple other times, but it's amazing how fast time flies. Uh, we're up again uh, in just a few weeks. We'll have the National Prayer Luncheon for Life in uh, Dallas, Texas. Such a unique thing, Karen, such a unique idea, and it's not new anymore. It's unique because it's been, I don't know, remind me how many years it's been already, but tell us, walk us through what the National Prayer Luncheon for Life uh, and what that's meant and where we are as of today. Yes. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you for having me back. This is actually my third time to be on with you about <laughs> National Prayer Luncheon for Life. Right, and it, yeah, it began t- uh, back in 2021 as a new vision by our CEO at Heroic Media. Heroic Media is the parent company for National Prayer Luncheon for Life. And Brett Atterbury it used to be a counter fundraising luncheon, counter prayer and fundraising luncheon against Planned Parenthood, their local in Dallas, Texas, their local annual awards luncheon. And five days before the pandemic in 2020, we <laughs> both outnumbered and outraised them. We had 3,000 people in person at ours and raised $1.8 million, and they had wow. 1,000 people at theirs, and they raised $1.1. But then the pandemic was announced five days later. The world changed. So much went virtual. And Brett was elevated to CEO at, at uh, November 1 of 2020, and the Holy Spirit gave him a whole new vision. And he said, you know what? This is really, really meant to be an hour of prayer and let's turn outward. Let's not make it a fundraiser about ourselves and our mission, but let's let's present a an annual pro-life impact award and distribute pro-life impact grants to amazing high impact pro-life organizations. So that that began in 2021. The first year we we gave three grants totaling $85,000. And then last year, we upgraded it to six grants totaling $100,000. And yeah, it's so like everybody can participate. That's something we love about this. This is for the entire pro-life community across the country and internationally. We already have votes in from 28 countries outside of the U.S. for this year's. And it's actually next week, Ed. It's next Friday, April the 21st is the day, 12 to 1 Central Time. We call it the Hour of Power Prayer and Celebration Event and Pro-Life Impact Awards Ceremony. So uh, yeah, I can tell you about how the you know the nominations process and how who who are the six organizations on the ballot well, and, this year. And first, I want to ask you a, a broad question because you know you, your role both as a communicator and in this case as the president of the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. By the way, um, I'm sorry, Karen, but remind me what's the best website to go to yes. right now to look at it to find yes. out more and to vote. Yes, it is. Everything is on nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org. Okay. We've got the the six nominees. We have their their paragraphs about them. You read through them, pray about it, and then you push the button to cast your vote. You can only vote once, but it's thousands of, of thousands of people participate in voting and then joining us together virtually for this special hour. Okay, nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org. I'll make sure we say that a couple times and I'll put it up on social media. So, Karen, before we get into the six, there's six six groups, six efforts that were nominated, but I want to ask you a broad question because, again, you're a communicator, you're a professional, you're pro-life, motivated by your great faith and belief. How do you feel 
after, I mean, this is the first luncheon after Dobbs and after Roe v. Wade's reversed. And, you know, we've talked about it on the show. You know, I've talked about it off the air. Um, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, it's like the dog that caught the car. I mean, we were, we're kind of like, Oh, wait. And now we, we're, we're, we're in this period after we had a, we sort of had a, a, a target. If you wanted to say, you, you know, we had a boogeyman. It was Roe v. Wade. Well, it's gone now. And now we're, I don't know, building the culture of life. How, how are you finding that? And how is it going? And, and what do you think about where we are? Oh, my goodness, Ed. So, I know we, have, we need about 10 hours, but I mean, we'll just yeah. do it in like 30 seconds. But go ahead. Well, and I think you, you, <laughs> may, have been, you may have been alive when the road decision was handed down. Also, I, I have a vivid memory of it as a 10-year-old. Right. It was first handed down. And, and um, thankfully for me, I, I've been in the, working in the movement 34 years. But early in the 90s, I went to Mark Crutcher's Life Activist Seminar. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Late that, Mark the, Crutcher, by the way, a terrible yes, tragedy. He passed yes. away just in the last couple of weeks. It's horrendous. Anyway, keep yeah. going. Yes, March March ninth, he did, and, wow. and God rest his his soul. But he he then he talked about you know struggles, civil rights struggles, and and social injustice struggles throughout the centuries, throughout history. And he basically made kind of what I consider a prophetic you know statement back then, where he said, you know what, I will give Roe fifty years. Mm, wow. And I remember thinking at that time we had just hit twenty years of of this horror in our country. How mm-hmm. could it be even possible that this even wow. happens even today? And I thought then, I thought, no, Lord, no, we have to do this for 30 more years. But OK, you know, if that's what it takes. So I never <laughs> oh, lost sight of that. And I always believed that, you know, injustice doesn't last forever. So we worked hard toward that. And I mean, I think everyone was getting discouraged until we started to see the changes on the court. Mm-hmm. And then it, it became reality a year year ago, this is going to happen. Roe is going to fall before year 50. Praise be to God. So it's the first domino. It had to fall. It had to fall. But what did the court do? The court didn't give us everything we wanted. We wanted the court to overturn Roe. And because there is no right, there's no right in the constitution for abortion. It does not exist. So why didn't the court say there is no constitutional right to abortion? Therefore, abortion is illegal and nullified across all 50 states. That's not what the court did. They sent it back to the states. And honestly, Ed, you've seen it. I've seen it. We, the battle, it's as if it's intensified. Right. And we've, we've started the second chapter and it's 50 intense battles in 50 states and mm-hmm. and and it's a spiritual war. I mean, this is spiritual and the other side is unleashed, you yeah. know, because that their their sacred cow which was Roe fell. So we <laughs> yep. we we soldier on undeterred. Well, and, and we're talking with Karen Garnett, by the way, again, it's National Prayer Luncheon for Life.org, National Prayer Luncheon for Life.org. It's, uh, it's in a week or so, week, a little bit more in the week, but, um, voting only goes until this Saturday. Let me get my, my calendar out of 13, 14, 15, 15. Is it the 16th, 15? 15th. Oh, Saturday like night. a tax day, like a tax day. Yeah, Saturday job, night Karen. the 15th. Yes, everyone has, <laughs> you know, we, we encourage everybody to, you know, take the time during, as soon as you've listened, go to National Prayer Legend for Life, read and vote. But if you need to wait till the weekend, you have all day Saturday. 
You're not like the IRS. You don't give until like the the seventeenth. Or all right, but Karen, give us a rundown on first of all, set up the con the, the sort of context, the contours of how you ended up with six, what the, who they are briefly, and yeah. kind of what it means. I, I think it's important for people. It's kind of like your you you the vision, and again, uh, you know, you, as you mentioned, uh, your CEO vision of empowering uh, groups. So walk us through that and who the six are, real quickly. Yes, yes. So uh, well, you've you've had Brett Atterbury, my CEO, yep. on yep. your show. He is a metrics guy. He comes from the business world. He just wrote the book, Your Pro Life Bottom Line. Right, right. And right. he said, okay, let, we people are always looking for high impact metrics, measurable results, measure, measurable reach. And so what we do with this is we open up what we call nomination season in the fall because we want to hear about, including organizations we haven't heard of, local pro-life organizations who are making a major impact, who have metrics. And so nomination season happened. We got 120 organizations nominated at the, at the national, state, and local level. We, like we do each year, we pray over those nominations and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as to who will be on the ballot for this year. And uh, the $100,000 grants, all six, everybody's a winner. There's a 50 a 20,000, 15,000, and then three at 5,000. And it's all, again, based on voting. You, the pro-life community, get to make these decisions led by the Holy Spirit. Again, by midnight on April 15th, please cast your vote. So this year, the nominees, they're very diverse. And it's just awesome when you think about our movement and all the different facets, all the different strategies are needed. So I will list these in alphabetical order, just like yes, they are on our yes. website. The Abortion Survivors Network, which is led by Melissa Oden out of oh, Kansas City, amazing. Missouri. Yep. She's been on the Unique. show. Amazing lady. Yeah. Amazing yeah. lady. Right. It's, the, it's the only one of its kind that uh, ministers to those who have survived abortions yep. in the womb. So they're, they're the first one, Abortion Survivors Network. Number two, Equal Rights Institute, which is led by Josh Brom out of uh, North Carolina. Amazing international reach pro-life apologetics organization. And I'm talking about changing minds and changing hearts on abortion. The third one is Good Counsel Homes, which is led by Chris Bell out of the New Jersey, New York area. And this is a a beautiful, my goodness, the ministry. They have served over 8,000 homeless pregnant women and not only in their four homes, but they've helped open maternity homes, nine homes in eight additional states. And they offer a post-abortion healing program called Lumina because they found that over half of the mothers who come to them have experienced abortions. When you get healed from abortion, it breaks the cycle of repeat abortion and intergenerational abortions. Mm. Um, the next one is Human Life Alliance, which is led by Joe Langfeld out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yep. And goodness, I think anybody who's been in the movement any amount of time, this this organization has been serving for 46 years, mm-hmm. and they are the ones who first did the She's a Child, Not a Choice newspaper right. supplements in the early 90s. So they're, they, again, they're an educational organization, mainly with print materials, but also digital, reaching, again, international reach, 88 countries, millions of people, especially high school students and college students. Then we have, this is the first time a locally, a locally nominated organization has been selected as a finalist. It's Natural Women's Health out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which is led by Dr. Monique Ruberu. And it, oh my goodness, her story about conversion from typical type of, uh, you know, OBGYN training to completely 100% natural, holistic 
women's health care. And she also does abortion pill reversal. It's amazing the work that she's doing, having served over 2,000 patients. And then lastly, I know you know Bridget Van Yeah, of course. Everybody um, knows Bridget. (laughs) CEO and vision leader for Thrive Express Women's Healthcare. And Thrive is on the ballot. They are helping to create, they are creating the first viable national counter brand to Planned Parenthood in 50 years. It's never been done. And they they were in the lead at what you all know as the Missouri miracle, driving Planned Parenthood out of Missouri 2019, three years before Roe fell. So that's it. Six. That's the six as quickly as I can go through them for you. The, the, and, uh, and and to be clear, again, Karen Garnett is our guest. And and uh, Karen, to be clear, the uh, the purpose is National Prayer Luncheon for Life dot org. Go there and vote. And the votes count. If the people vote for something, if lots of people pay attention and go vote, that's what counts. Um, it, you, the goal here was to say, hey, we're going to bring everybody together. We are going to fundraise. You're going to raise money to do this, but then you're going to distribute the funds. And so the uh, winners are going to get. Um, uh, funds and get uh, they've applied with a, a vision for what they were going to do. So it's kind of um, you're participating not in raising money for something in the future. You're going to see it right there. And you can, by the way, you could be there if you get to Dallas on uh, on Friday. You can be there, but it's but you can also be online. Right. And honestly, Ed, it, the the hour itself is not a fundraiser. We do not solicit funds oh, during okay. the hour at all. It is a prayer hour and it's led by prayer leaders. This year, Catherine Hadro from EWTN is yeah. our MC and our and our prayer leaders are uh, we always have a bishop. So Bishop Greg Kelly from the Diocese of Dallas. Hmm. He's our Episcopal prayer leader. We have Aurora Tina Harrow, who is the national coordinator for Latinas por la Vida. We always have a, a Spanish speaking to deliver the message and a prayer in both English and Spanish. We have Chris. Christina Bennett, who is coming to represent Lila Rose from Live Action. This is really cool. It happened last year. Kristen Hawkins came to speak and pray and, and pass, cheer on the new, the mm. new um, finalists because Students for Life won the Pro-Life Impact Award and the $50,000 grant in 2021. So wow. Kristen came and spoke. Christina Bennett is going to come and do that for Live Action this year. Live Action won last year. Lila has a conflict the evening before that she can't get to Dallas. And then Christina also has an amazing story of her mm. own. And and she speaks to to the to the black community, hmm. you know, it's so targeted by Planned Parenthood. Right. And then finally, uh, wrapping that up is is Pastor Bruce Kendrick, who is the director of life initiatives at the local Watermark Community Church here in Dallas. He is a uh, father of nine children, including wow. several who have been adopted and fostered. So hmm. so that's the first forty five minutes. It is prayer, it is inspiration, and then the announcement and the live presentation. We do absolutely welcome help with with giving the grants away through sponsorships. All mm-hmm. of that is available on our website, nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org. But it truly is an invitation really for unity. It's it's for it's just to give us an opportunity once a year for all of us to do that one hour together from wh- from wherever we are right. in 12 to 1 central time. Great. All right. Listen, uh, Karen Garnett, I'm out of time. I got to run. Uh, Karen Garnett, I will put this up. I encourage people, uh, first of all, Go and vote for these great groups and, and these great efforts, but also get uh, familiar uh, with the uh, with the organization, what Karen's doing, what her work broadly is doing, and especially the emphasis on prayer. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Karen. As always, God bless your work, and we'll look forward to getting a report afterwards. Thank you so much, Ed. And one other place is our yep. National Prayer Luncheon for Life Facebook page. So it's, oh. it's easy to share. It's Good. easy to share things from our Facebook page postings. But voting is on the website. So thank Perfect. you again. All right. Karen Garnett, everybody, we will take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest, I've been looking forward to this. As my listeners know, sir, uh, our next guest is a professor, a uh, professor of politics at George Fox University. His name is Mark David Hall. Uh, he's also on the faculty, uh, I guess, as an associate faculty over at Emory University, Baylor University also. And his new book, which is what I love, uh, my listeners know I love uh, books and I love that I get them sent to me and I can read through them. It is from Fidelis Books, which is an imprint of our friends at Post Hill Press, and the book is called Pro, Pro, excuse me, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. So first of all, uh, Professor Mark David Hall, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. It seems a little bit out of, uh, uh, out of fashion uh, to be as clear as you are in this book, uh, about Christianity being a, a, a positive. Uh, and I'm, I'm not really, I'm not teasing at all. I, you know, right now, uh, Christianity is in that period. I, I think it does ebb and flow a bit in the popular uh, press and all, but it's kind of viewed negatively. It's, uh, exploitative. It's been, uh, used by too many people to take advantage of people. I, I guess, you know, you're a professor of politics as well as uh, I'm sure history. Are we in this? Is it an ebb and flow? Are we in a particularly challenging time? Uh, it feels like it. Yeah. You know, I think it's been a, Pretty steep downhill ride since the mid 20th century when I think it's fair to say that um, fairly secular progressives took over the academy. And so when they write histories, when they write um, about politics, they tend to assume that Christianity is a, it's a repressive force. It's a bad thing. It's something that needs to be overcome. And things have only taken off in the 21st century, right? The 1619 Project may be most obvious Obvious, you know, wanting to understand all of America, American history through the lens of slavery and racism, that sort of thing. So this book is aimed at pushing back against all that. And I argue a strong thesis that, that Christianity has been a force for good, it, especially with respect to freedom and equality in America. Again, our guest uh, right now is uh, Mark David Hall. He's uh, the Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics over at George Fox University. Um, and when I look at your the t- your text, and this this book is Proclaim, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land. When I look at this, um, you know, and 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 um, you, you make a point that Christians were at the forefront of what I uh, the term I use is uh, making a more perfect union. In other words, we started out in our Constitution, we acknowledged we've got to make a more perfect union. It was imperfect. And that, that to me, that was a very Christian admission. But, you know, you point out it was Reverend, Dar- Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was Reverend uh, Ralph Abernathy. It was Reverend Andrew Young. They were explicitly motivated by their faith. And it was a Christian movement. That wasn't 100 years ago. That was, you know, 40 years ago. And yet... Now, uh, the movements that assert equality and assert more um, uh, rights are not even remotely. They don't even it's, it's not even the Reverend. I don't think Reverend Al Sharpton even pretends anymore. No, I think that's right. And as you know, from my book, I, I begin with the pilgrims and Puritans and argue yeah. that folks who are attempting to create a city on a hill. I, I've argued in my last book, Did America Have a Christian Founding? That our founders were profoundly influenced by Christianity when they created the, our, our experiment in constitutional self-governance. We have the abolitionists. We have the, um, in the 20th century, I focused mainly on, on the advance of religious liberty for all Americans. But you're exactly right. I could have easily had an entire chapter 
on the civil rights movement and all of the leaders of the civil rights movement were minister of the gospels. And of course you have um, both African-American and white ministers. It wasn't just simply an African-American movement and thank goodness for it. Right. Uh, Again, uh, our our guest, uh, Mark David Hall, Professor Hall is over at uh, George Fox university. Um, Does a book like this, um, does it in, in academic circles, um, because when I read this, it's not really, I mean, you're a professor of politics, I guess, but I mean, to me, it's a lot of history. It's a lot of uh, analytical, you know, kind of analysis of how things fit into history to, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like it's an argument. It seems like a description of what's gone on, but it doesn't feel like that's how academia reacts to this. Right. Again, I mean, uh, have we lost that much ground this that fast? Yeah, so I've done a dozen academic books with Oxford University Press, um, Cambridge University Press. This book and my last one are explicitly aimed at the general reading public. And so I try to be very clear, very accessible. There, There is an argument involved, right? I'm explicitly right. pushing back against the 1619 Project, but I would like to think it's completely grounded in historical facts. So I think the most progressive, angry atheist can read my book and would have a hard time arguing with it. Um, I think that's right. And I think a lot of it is sort of self-evident. Um, back uh, for a second to the, um, to the, uh, text itself. Uh, you, in one of the chapters, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find my notes. Uh, yes, there it is. You, you talk about the evangelical reformers. Um, lots of people wish for another, uh, a, a revival, right? Uh, not, not just wish, but pray for a revival and pray for, you know, that there would be a period in, in our, uh, th- th- there are periods in our history that we describe as these periods of, of, uh, awakening and people, you know, returning to the study of scripture and to, uh, uh, an idea that of being governed by, uh, an external truth that was from God. How could that happen in the modern moment? I mean, you know, again, you're a professor, so you're exposed to young people, especially, and the technology and how fast it's moved. It's it's hard to see. I guess maybe I, maybe someone around the time that Gutenberg was doing the printing press was acting like me, saying, I don't know how this will turn out. It's really going to be a problem. But it does feel like it's a problem right now. Well, I agree. We need revival. And as you point out in Antebellum America, that is 1820s, 1830s, um, that's the time of the Second Great Awakening, where there were right. revivals all over America. People were coming to Christ. People were being convicted and repenting of their sins. And um, there, there's a profound missions movement that went along with that, but also a profound movement to reform society, to fix the evils of society. Opposition to slavery is is one of the most obvious of these movements. One I discuss in my book that I think is not all that well known is the opposition to the Indian removal from Georgia. You had the five so-called civilized tribes, the Cherokees and others. And um, Andrew Jackson wanted to move them to Oklahoma. And you had petition after petition signed by evangelicals and all sorts of political activism aimed at protecting these Native Americans, um, guaranteeing them the, the, the land they had by treaty rights. And you just can't explain things like this in terms of self-interest. I, I think it was people motivated by by the gospel. And so I think our prayer for today has to be for revival. And of course, nothing could stop the, the, the God and the Holy Spirit. If, if, if God wants there to be revival, there will be revival. 
Well, that's uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, all the stumbling blocks that we, you and I can think of are going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're nothing good to God. But I, it, it, it's easy to shake your head or your fist at it. Uh, the chapter on again, uh, our, our guest is uh, is uh, Mark David Hall, the professor over at uh, George Fox University, Herbert Hoover, distinguished professor there. Um, the chapter in the book um, must religion be stripped from the public square. And this to me, you know, I'm a lawyer, so it, it, you know, and and I care a lot about these issues. This to me is the the chapter that caught my eye in in terms of what I feel is happening. In other words, starting in, I think you, you started out with 1947 or so. Is is it Everson? Yeah. And, and then coming forward, it's a sort of activist effort, not just in the courts, although it's the courts heavily, but in the culture to drive out of the public square, meaning in my mind, the public schools first, but then just in in general, drive out the, um, the Christian, uh, ethos. And, and once you do that, you, you, you take care of, you eliminate the, the education. And, and, you know, I, I, I joke with people that the, to me, the stats of the uh, Pledge of Allegiance is brainwashing. It's just brainwashing in the right direction. It, it, you know, we, it, when I make my kids say prayers, wrote prayers, I don't know if they're having deep theological moments, but I know that they're directionally, they're going to be feeling and seeing in day to day and time go like, just like going to church and they're going to, you know, go to church m- multiple times a week. They're going to have that as a habit in their life as long as I can control it, 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 we lost that as we drove out of the public square, especially public schools, uh, 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 faith and, and Christianity. I don't know how you ever um, get back the, the basics of America without somehow uh, more widely spreading the, that formation. Well, let me just affirm that. I am a huge supporter of Christian schools. I don't know why any parent would have their children in Christian schools that they can at all manage it. Um, You're exactly right with 1947, of course. That's when the U.S. Supreme Court applied the Establishment Clause to the state. The Establishment Clause simply says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. In other words, we aren't going to have a national church. And by the doctrine of incorporation, now we aren't going to have a state church either. But that does not mean we have to strip religion from the public square. It does not mean there's a wall of separation between church and state. Um, so groups like uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation, American Humanist Society, um, they, they, they want to remove like the Blandensburg Cross, right? This 1925 World War One era cross memorializing right, right. young men who died in the First World War. And it's on public land now. And so, of course, American Humanist Association says this has to come down. When Ohio built a Holocaust memorial, it wanted to include the the Star of David and the Holocaust memorial. And, of course, the Freedom From Religion Foundation people said, no, no, you can't do that. There's a wall of separation between church and state. Well, fortunately, the federal courts have come around to, I think, a sensible um, understanding of the Establishment Clause. And so the Blandensburg Cross was found to be constitutional by vote of 72. Ohio ignored the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Um, we're, we're seeing public funds going to private religious schools on the same terms as other private schools. It's, I think we're actually sitting in a pretty good um, place right now with respect to the federal judiciary and the establishment clause. Well, I, I, I hope so. And I, I think the one thing that I would say is that when you watch like the 1619 project, and as you say, you, you know, you're, ex, you're explicitly kind of countering that by saying, Oh, here's the history. You, what you do find though, is that people, um, I, I, well, I get, I get disconcerted at the number of people that don't realize they're being fed 
a a a line, you know, and and that suddenly, you know, the the sixteen nineteen because it was in the New York Times is is somehow credible when a lot of it seems not only incredible but lacking in credibility. Um, well, I, I have to leave it there. Uh, Mark David Hall, he's the Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics at George Fox University. His book is Proclaim Liberty Throughout Liberty Throughout the Land: How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. Fidelis Books uh, of Post Hill Press has this one out. Uh, thanks for your time, sir, and we'll have you back again. Hey, thanks very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Well, we will, um, we appreciate it. And I will put up on social media uh, links to uh, all of uh, uh, both the website as well as, uh, uh, excuse me, Sophia Institute Press and a link uh, to where you can get the book, which is everywhere. Uh, it's uh, really helpful. It's I, I, I enjoyed this one a lot. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Globalists feel that now is their time to pick the next American president. Bill Clinton was groomed by the world elite for decades until they made him president, and Hillary was to be their encore in 2016 until that was foiled by Donald Trump. Trump remains their nemesis, and his presidency stood in favor of America first and against globalism, world government, phony free trade, and perpetual foreign wars. Joe Biden was not the candidate globalists really wanted in 2020 and was nominated only after it became obvious that none of the other Democrats had any chance of winning the general election. But the growing discontent with Biden has spread to rank-and-file Democrat voters. Only 37% of ordinary Democrats want Joe Biden for a second term, according to a recent poll by the AP Nork Center for Public Affairs Research. Time is running out for Biden to get his numbers up with Democrats, and a long string of embarrassing public gaffes point to further mental decline for Joe Biden. If credible Democrat rivals jump into the race, Biden will have to participate in debates later this year, and it's difficult to see how he could survive these politically. The more intriguing political backstabbing is among the Democrat insiders, where the infighting is over everything from picking the location of the national convention to which primaries will be held first. The traditional one-two sequence held by the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary disfavors Joe Biden, who did poorly there in 2020, and so he has misused his power of incumbency to demote them. Biden's insistence on changing 50 years of tradition shows how imperiled his political future is within his own party. By installing the small Republican state of South Carolina as first among Democrat primaries, Joe Biden is trying to renominate himself because he ran the strongest there in 2020. Conservatives should not be lulled into thinking that our only foe in the forthcoming presidential contest will be President Biden. The Biden regime is on life support. And globalists are waiting in the wings to solidify their control in 2024. Conservatives should sharpen their message and hone their skills because we're in for a fight. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, we're just finishing up. We've got a couple of minutes. Uh, let me underscore for you, um, Karen Garnett, our friend at the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. Uh, we just had a great conversation with her. Um, I'm going to, I, I, I was texting someone about that and they didn't quite understand it. Here's the deal. There are six finalists for a big grant, a prize of money. And if you go to nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org, you can vote. You can look at these six finalists, these efforts, pro-life efforts, and you can select which one you want to. And whoever gets the most votes will win the award and get a prize. And, and the prize is cash money to do their work. So it's worth doing. So go to nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org, nationalprayerluncheonforlife.org, participate by signing up and uh, voting and uh, you won't regret it it's a great effort it's a great group it's important people karen garnett is wonderful so uh, please do that and please participate that way because it is well worth your time well worth your effort and it's an important thing so do that um and again it's national prayer luncheon for life.org uh, all right. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, uh, Ryan Height for our associate producing. Thank you to our great guests. And uh, especially thank you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com to sign up there for our daily email, The Daily Wink. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego.